Welcome to our Lead to Succeed podcast, where we share leadership and business growth insights, both from our own experiences and that of our guests. We're the hosts. I'm Rebecca Jenkins, founder of Argen, helping companies to grow by finding, gaining and growing the best clients. And I'm Callum, sharing my perspectives from both being an entrepreneur and working in a variety of different companies. Whether you lead a team or a business, you'll find practical tips, inspirational insights and ideas as we discuss a wide range of leadership topics. So with that, here's today's episode. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining us again on our Lead to Succeed podcast. And today we have Patrick Coots with us. Now, Patrick is the co-founder of a company called Mindstone which he says is a tech startup business. Um, Patrick has an interesting background being a teacher and moving into tech. So I'm sure we're going to hear lots about that. But Mindstone is an organization that organizes and shares and allows you to take notes on web pages, PDFs, videos and podcasts so you can learn faster, remember more and get things done. So I'm going to be um, very intrigued to hear more about that as well. So a very big welcome to you. Patrick, do you like to elaborate on that introduction at all, or can we go straight to it? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, so th- thanks for the introduction, and thanks for having me here on Lead to Succeed. I must say that um, it, it's been an interesting journey transitioning from education to ed tech, um, and finding my role and finding my, my place as a leader within a startup. Um, and I do want to preface our conversation today with the acknowledgement that I have only uh, my own learnings, my own insights, my own perspective, and I'm guaranteed to be wrong about a great many things. So um, I'm looking forward to having this conversation and and hopefully learning something together uh, in the course of it. Um, In your introduction, you you, you described what we did, what we do, um, and I would just amplify that a little bit by saying that most of our users have got three problems that they're trying to solve. They want to take control of the huge quantity of information that's that's thrown in their uh, way every day with um, uh, podcasts, newsletters, blog posts, web pages, academic articles, and somehow grapple all of that into some kind of organized shape. They want to be able to get back to important information whenever they need it, and they want to be able to extract value from all of those diverse sources of information in order to make progress in their career, whether uh, uh, academic or uh, professional. So Mindstone exists to try to help people impose order on that crazy uh, quantity of information everybody's exposed to and, and get more out of it. So that's the, that, that, that's the pitch, the elevator pitch, if you like. Okay, thank you for that. Nice. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the on the podcast, Patrick. It's nice to I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about Mindstone and your kind of thoughts and experiences around around leadership as well. And I guess to, to dive into things, um, we touched upon the fact that you've got some experience being a teacher previously as well. Mm-hmm. I know you've made this sort of transition into uh, ed tech and, and running a, a tech startup. Whether that's kind of based on your experience from being in education or now kind of in the tech space, what what do you think like great leadership looks like to you? I think that great leadership begins with humility. Um, It was one of the most profound insights that I ever got in in the teaching profession and which I've carried over with me into my uh, work in Mindstone, that the conventional hierarchy with a boss at the top is profoundly wrong. It's the wrong way around. 
the the pyramid needs to be inverted you need to think of the boss at the top actually as sitting beneath everybody else supporting them helping them encouraging them and unlocking their potential in order to achieve and i'm sure you can see that in the classroom the context of of a teacher who doesn't sit on top of a class squishing it but supports a class um and of course, this metaphor feels a bit wonky because because we imagine a wobbly, unstable pyramid um, and worry that the whole thing is going to fall over. But the truth of the matter is that if you lead with humility and you acknowledge that the people you're working with uh, have strengths and skills that you don't and you need them to be able to have ownership of their progress and, their, and the production of their work and you need them to 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 lead and and develop the, the company in the case of, of Mindstone where I currently work or in the classroom obviously where you're leading teams of teachers and then those teachers are leading teams of students you um you really do need to to acknowledge the strength of the people that you're working with um and so that that's that touch point of humility is is really central to, to my thinking about leadership not least of course because I came into the tech world as a complete beginner and so from day one when my chief technical officer was saying to me you know what are you going to do in this company and I said I don't know yet I guess I guess I'm going to fetch the pizzas I, I don't know I'm going to have to figure this out um, and so it was a it was a really steep learning curve for me. And I, if I hadn't come in with, with some degree of humility, I think people would have sniffed out uh, a fraud pretty much instantly. And then of course the respect is lost or the opportunity to earn the respect is lost and you're in all sorts of trouble. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that, that, that gives you a flavor of, of my mindset as I came into leadership of this company. Nice, and I get, to what extent have you kind of implemented that sort of approach like across the company at, at Mindstone? Well, we're a small company, and mm. so leading by example is is kind of inevitable because you, oh. you're building culture with your every daily action, with everything that you do, and um, and so it is important in my day to day practice that I we don't just have a cultural document sitting somewhere on the database of resources of the company but rather that we actually live our values on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and that really means um, walking the walk. Now, to give a concrete example of that, as a learning company, I'm sure you, you won't be surprised to hear that we take our own learning very, very seriously. And a key aspect of that is feedback, feedback from the team. And we wanted from the very beginning to, to build a culture where members of the team would give each other feedback in order to do better. And more importantly, actually, that they wouldn't withhold feedback for fear of judgment or um, for fear of, of, of a negative reaction, because ultimately withholding feedback is denying a colleague the opportunity to develop and grow. Now, to live by that value means that I need to share the feedback that I receive so that other colleagues who weren't uh, present for that one-to-one -one conversation in which I received the feedback, have the opportunity to firstly see that, that, that feedback is made public whenever possible within the company, and secondly, potentially to learn from it. So I might get a really tough piece of feedback from my CTO or from my CEO saying, 
here's a situation, here's your behavior, these are the impacts of, those, of that behavior, and here are some suggestions about how you could behave differently. And I've got the choice to either take that on board for myself or say, okay, I'm gonna share that with the team and everybody's gonna see that. And when new colleagues joining the company see that on our feedback channel, that kind of thing is going on and people are making public the feedback they've received, there's a, an aha moment for that new hire, for that new colleague where they go, oh wow, these guys really mean it. And they're kind of fearless about it. So when, when that tough feedback comes in, not only do I take it, but I actually publicize it. And I say, thank you to the person who's given it to me. And I, we actually have a little rewards program in place to enable people to, to uh, be, be rewarded for giving tough feedback. That's, uh, that's quite fascinating. We could get uh, quite personal here, couldn't we, Patrick, and explore what some of that tough feedback might have been for you. Would you be happy <laughs> to share that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so as the, the product leader within the team, um, it is my role to firstly facilitate the decision-making process about what we're going to build, what we're going to develop, um, what direction we're going to take. And that is, uh, as you can imagine, is operating under conditions of extreme uncertainty. We don't know exactly what features are going to fly and which ones aren't. And we have to, um, to reach those decisions in the dark. And I've received feedback in the past, um, for example, about my own uh, instinct to try to seek consensus because I view myself as the glue within the team who's holding us all together and keeping us all aligned. And I know I'm pretty good at that because my teaching career has taught me to, 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 to seek and, and, and um, surface alignment. But if in my impatience to get everyone aligned and get a decision made and move forward, I gloss over the underlying disagreements or hesitations or unasked questions which other members of the team might have, about this decision, I say, right, that's great, we're all in alignment and I move forward, then we can either make the wrong decision or people that I thought were aligned can actually go away from a meeting with a different idea about what was going on. And in the specific example that I'm thinking of, I was super pleased about how well I'd run a meeting. And a week later we reconvened and it turned out that we had been working on four different answers to the same problem because the four people in the meeting had each gone away with a different idea about what comes next. And so I got this really tough feedback, like you did not achieve the alignment that you thought you did. You did not surface adequately what these people were really thinking. Before you say declare victory in a meeting and move on, sit in that discomfort and determine whether people really are aligned. And my, um, and, and my reaction to that, you can imagine when I first got that feedback, it was like <clears throat> painful. But then, but then you know, I, I took some time to think about it and, and I realized that, that this is true about me, that I, I am too eager to please sometimes, too eager to, to get everyone on the same page. And that, the disagreement, the discomfort of disagreement is actually where really great thinking is going on and it needs to be celebrated and, and acknowledged. Um, and I ended up introducing a practice from which I've known from years in the classroom, which is 
at the end of a meeting, getting other members of the team to reframe back to me what they think we have just agreed. And it, and it seems somewhat like you can imagine that could come across as a bit condescending, but it's a really vital strategy because it, it shows you, did they really understand what you meant? Did we all really reach the agreement that we think we did? So I, find, I, I found that tough, but, but, but valuable as an experience and a big, big learning step for me. Likewise, I've had um, experiences like that where I didn't like the feedback at all. Um, but mm. then you've got to learn to reflect on it and accept it and see the good in it. Because there's always, if it's done well, all feedback is a gift because it helps you to reflect and think about how you can improve. Do you have a technique, um, Patrick, that when you have concluded a meeting or about to conclude a meeting, not just in asking, is everybody clear and feeding back to you what's been agreed, but actually eliciting from um, those in the team that may have reserved their feedback or haven't quite mm. aren't quite on board. How do you how do you bring that out so that you have got yeah. this agreement um, with yeah. people are sharing their concerns? Yeah, no, openly. I, I, I know I know what you're getting at, and this is this is a real challenge for us as a company that was founded in 2020 in the teeth of lockdown. Uh, we're we're predominantly a remote organisation, and so our meetings are conducted over Zoom and it's really, really easy for a member of the team to either to tune out and not engage fully with the meeting or to lack the confidence to jump in and say what they think because they think, well, somebody else is going to say it or maybe I'm going to be wrong. Maybe I'm going to be shot down because this is a team of really, really smart people. And if I say something dumb, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to really feel it. Um, and so this is something that we've we've grappled with um, as a result of, of uh, I think, predominantly as a result of being a remote organization. And the week before last, we had the privilege of bringing the whole team together for a week um, in, in London. And and I got to meet a couple of team members I'd never met in person. Um, and the dynamic of collaboration face to face was just night and day compared to the, the, the energy level and the mood when conducting our business remotely. And it was really interesting because many of the more introverted members of the team said, look, I'm more productive working from home, but I'm less energized, I'm less enthused, I'm less excited about what we're doing. And I think that one of the decisions coming out of that experience was to bring people together uh, as often as we can when we haven't quite figured out how to do that yet but to bring everybody together more often um, in order to make to reduce the friction of participating in the way that you describe so to circle back to your question the the reluctance of a shy or, or perhaps somewhat introverted or perhaps uh, a, a member of the team who feels that it's not their place to speak up that reluctance is, is a barrier that we want to reduce. We want to reduce that friction as much as possible. Bringing people face to face is one method to do that. Um, and then the other, the other thing, I hate to say it as somebody who really likes talking, but it also means that people in a position of leadership, like myself, like, like my chief exec, we really like the sound of our own voices. <laughs> 
and we need to learn to shut up you know um and and both josh and i are actively always working on this like like don't let it become the patrick and josh show where everybody is just listening to me and josh bouncing ideas off each other so yeah it it, it th those are the two strategies that 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 we've got, but I wouldn't say this is a solved problem for us. And if you've got any other suggestions for, for surfacing the voices of, of the quieter colleagues, then, then I want to hear them. Oh, well, maybe we could share some ideas after the podcast. Mm. And I'd like you yeah. to refer you to a previous podcast guest, actually, who might be able to uh, give you some thoughts on that. Amazing. But, um, that that would be that would be great. You, you, you talked very much about, you know, before, before we went live, just that inverted model and we talked about it at the beginning you know leadership supporting a team and i love the kind of how that the sense of that in a way that the leaders mm. at the bottom and providing that support can you give me some example other examples of how you do that in in mind so yeah so there are there are a lot of cliches in the tech world i'm sure you're familiar with things like that that are, um ask for forgiveness not permission um, well he works in tech so he'll get it yeah and um and and that's it that's a great saying but you have to actually do it yeah it's it's not it's not it's not enough to say um yeah 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 we do, we want everybody to be empowered now now here's our roadmap because that, that obviously doesn't create any kind of freedom for people to innovate and solve problems in their own way. And um, a concrete example of this is in the framing of a problem that you want to solve, it's very tempting when as, as a leader to try to add value by suggesting solutions. So, okay, so we've investigated, we've done our discovery work around this particular problem that our users have, um, and we'd like to solve this problem. And at that moment, the, the supportive leadership thing to do is to say to the most creative, brilliant people in the company, which is not the leaders, how might we solve this problem? The temptation is to say, and I as a leader, I have a few thoughts. And of course, the moment you start suggesting solutions, you're boxing in you know, what the outcomes will be. I'm not a technical founder, so I don't know what the technical constraints are very often. Like, um, so so the, uh, one of the mantras that, that I recite to myself is, is imagine the technology is capable of magic. Don't put any limitations at all on what is technically possible. The engineers will do that. They'll tell you if it's not technically possible. Don't you put limitations on them of what the solution should be and what the technical constraints are, because you're not. it's not your place to do that. It's my place as the head of product to understand the problem and formulate that problem uh, description in such a way that those brilliant creative people on the team can then solve it in ways that I would never have dreamt of. Um, and when I talk about those brilliant creative people, I, perhaps the mental image of a, of a designer pops into your head, but actually I'm talking just as much about our software engineers who are the most creative, imaginative people to work with uh, that has ever been my privilege to work with. And so I, 
I know it's a cliche, but but I really am like working with some of the smartest people I know. And I consider myself to be reasonably smart, but I also need to acknowledge these guys are amazing. So let them be amazing and get out of their way. So yeah, so that's that's leadership from the bottom, you know, um, as I understand it anyway. Nice, thanks for sharing that, Patrick. And I, I guess what would be quite interesting to hear from your side, if for the other founders or people within the team that are, are listening to this podcast, what do you think would be like three ways that, or three things people could go away and implement into their team or their business tomorrow to kind of increase that humility, the transparency, the honesty, or kind of empowering the team? Oh God, now you're putting me on the spot. Three things. I, I'll tell you what. Yeah. I'm or gonna, maybe what do you do? How do well, you do it? I, in, in I'm, I'm gonna, what, what do you think works? I'll, I'll, I'll have a crack and we'll see how many I come up with. Okay, so, so, so here's the first thing, right? And I don't think I've been doing a very good job of this on our call so far, which is acknowledging how you've messed up. Um, when talking to the, uh, the, the founders of successful tech firms, mm. you'll very often hear this narrative about how I did this and I did this and I did this. I had a plan, I executed on the plan, and now I drive a, a Ferrari. And this misses all of the moments of learning which take place at the bottom of the pit. And acknowledging that that's where the real growth happens when you are stuck in the bottom of a pit you can't get out you don't know if you're ever going to get out you know you perhaps you know that you messed up and and now you're going to have to pick yourself up and and somehow claw your way out of this that's that's where the the, the, the real insights come from um and our narratives as an industry very often ignore those failures, ignore those dark moments, because that, that doesn't fit the story of how the great leader led their team to greatness, which frankly, it's not only a boring story, but also has many of the attributes of a lie. So Callum, you asked for something like concrete implement tomorrow, own your, uh, I, I nearly said, I, can we swear on this podcast? Mm, by all means yeah own your fuck-ups um one of our uh, a member of our team um created a, a meetup series of events called fuck up nights where um where founders would get together and share their stories of disaster and and uh, complete catastrophe humiliating screw-ups and of course they were wildly popular and it wasn't just because it was a cathartic experience for all of those founders to go and hear each other's human failure it was also because in those moments that's when there was something important to be learned and very often it's that you didn't learn it but maybe if you tell this story to somebody else they can so within your company don't just don't don't just acknowledge when you've screwed up really share and dig into it like why did you screw up what went wrong completely ownership of that now it, it requires trust yeah but the funny thing about that is that when you when you show that kind of vulnerability psychologically people don't look at you and go oh how weak they are they think wow what reserves of strength must this person have to share their most humiliating failures and so it, it has the opposite effect that i think many people think in order to be a leader you have to never show weakness and I think that people are more psychologically astute than that. They see right through you. Um, 
better to have the confidence if you can and and fake it till you make it to um to, to show weakness to show vulnerability to say i don't know um it's, it's one of the liberating things is to, to to be able to say i don't know and then perhaps somebody on your team will rather than feeling you always have to have the answers so that, so yeah that i don't know if that's practical enough for you kellen but but it is something you can live by right yeah for sure i think it's definitely something that people can can take away and implement isn't it and it's like as you said as a leader we kind of talked about this on the podcast before but you don't always need to know all the answers you don't as you say to you know never show any weakness and i think you actually come across better and probably more trustworthy and more kind of honest and lying to earth if you if you as you said you do share your weaknesses you do show own the things that you perhaps got wrong or, mm. or messed up on or, or whatever it is and i think all of that kind of goes back to the idea of you know empowering other people and you know, if you make a mistake, it's not the end of the world, and you know you're not going to get punished for it if, if it happens to you either. Well, um, one more thing I would say that is something of a mantra, or I don't know, just just like it was a big learning curve for me um, in the last two years, and which I think, yeah, I, I hopefully this could be useful to some people. I, I hope that some people listening will think, yeah, okay, th th there's a change of perspective here. Most people in life will go to great lengths to avoid finding out that they're wrong. And that's, that's maladaptive, right? You want to stop being wrong. And to stop being wrong, you need to find out that you are wrong as soon as you possibly can. And so going into a discovery exercise, a, 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 a explicitly demarcated learning experience with the attitude of, please let me be wrong. Please let me find out that I'm wrong. Please let this go badly in an instructive way is a really helpful attitude. So we run uh, experiments uh, with our platform to see you know, what, what ideas will work, what will appeal to our users. We conduct interviews, we record uh, user tests where people film themselves using our platform. And at the beginning, I always used to be super excited about the videos where the user at the end of the test would say, oh, this is great. I love it. And I, and I still do, right? It's lovely to feel like you've built something that's valuable, but I don't learn anything from that. And over the course of the last two years, I trained myself to get excited when a user says, I hate this, because that means I, I can learn something now. The moment they say, this is messed up, I'm not, I, I hate this product now I, I, I can actually learn something and so I've trained myself to, to to get excited about those negative experiences those negative reactions and to celebrate them within the team and every Wednesday afternoon we have our show reel where I where I show the the latest recordings of people hating our product and and members of the team are like oh god here we go this is going to be awful but of course I, every Wednesday at the end of that call, some engineer will say, well, I'm going to fix that. It's just too irritating to watch that thing going wrong. I'm, I, I'm just going to go. And the next morning, Thursday morning, we'll come on the morning stand up and they'll say, yep, did it. It was too painful to watch people get that wrong in the user test. And so I fixed it. So it's tremendously energizing to, to find out you're wrong in that way. And of course, if you had your head buried in the sand, you could easily just not learn that. Mm. just taking that theme a little bit further 
I want to ask you, going to ask you, what has been your biggest fuck up? Ooh. Oh, there's been, <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to say there's been so many. All right, let me, just a few. Um, at the beginning of Mindstone, we were certain that um, the, the perfect target audience for our product was the professional relationship between mentors and mentees. And we committed months to that. And it was just it was just wrong because not because the dynamic wouldn't be supported by a tool like ours, but because most mentors and mentees have a cadence of their meetings where they get together like once every three, four months. And so nobody was ever going to form a habit of, well, let's reach for a digital tool to facilitate our collaboration. So it was just a disaster. Now. I, I, I wish I could tell you how many times I've been wrong in exactly that way, uh, where, where I've adamantly said, this is it. This is the group of people who are going to go nuts for our product. They're going to love this thing. And then, and then a, you know, a month later, <laughs> we've got nothing. So we've got, uh, my, biggest, my biggest fuck ups have probably been there in terms of thinking I understand our users and then finding out that I don't. Um, I don't know how helpful this mental image is, but this, this haunts me. I have this feeling like back, back when I was a teacher, you know, I'd stand in a classroom and I'd be able to see in the kids' eyes whether they were bored, whether they were engaged, whether they were doing it out of duty, but not really excitement about learning. You can just see it, right? And in my current role, I always feel like I'm, I'm in a room on my own and next door on the other side of the wall are my users. And I'm holding up a glass to the wall and trying to listen to figure out what, are they happy? Are they sad? I wish I could just ask them, but I can't. And I'm trying to figure out, is that, you know, is that noise I'm hearing? Are they laughing? Are they, or are they arguing with each other? What's going on? And that sense of not knowing what your users really want, or actually, no, it's worse than that. Your users don't know what they want. Of course they don't. If they did, you know, in, in, this is a, another of those cliched tech sayings, but if you'd ask people in 1890 uh, what they wanted, they'd have said faster horses, not cars. So users of software don't know what they want because they don't know what's possible. They, they muddle through with whatever solutions they've found. And if you tell them, hey, I've got this exciting new solution for you, then they're quite likely to say, oh, I don't, I don't really, it doesn't solve a problem for me. So that sense of not knowing what's gonna, what's gonna do the trick, what's gonna get people's attention or get them excited, getting them using the product, it's, it's very, very painful. I, I, I always feel like I'm, I'm just on the other side of the wall. And this, I, I should mention, by the way, this is in the context of very, very sophisticated analytic tools, right? We've got all the mm. data, mm. all the data you could possibly ask for, but we still don't know. That was a very interesting point. I, I, we can come on to that in a second. But as we draw towards the end of the podcast, Patrick, are there any aspects on leadership or kind of learnings you've had from working at Mindstone or in your role as a teacher that you you'd like to share with the, our audience that you feel maybe we haven't haven't touched upon as of yet? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think the one thing we've not touched upon, which is which is really a, a big part of my life, and my, my chief exec is uh, listening to this and uh, 
and probably horrified to hear me say this, but as a leader, you also very often have to manage up, right? Mm -hmm. So I've mentioned that I'm working in this company full of incredibly smart people and probably the smartest or one of the smartest among us is, is the chief exec. Uh, he's an amazing guy and a workaholic. And of course, it, it takes that to be a serial tech startup founder. It, it's no surprise. He's a smart guy and an incredibly hardworking guy. And he's got a million and one ideas. So this what I'm saying now comes from a place of love, right? Be just because he's incredibly smart and hardworking and has a million ideas, it doesn't mean that he's right. In fact, he's he's wrong more often than anyone else because he makes more guesses than anyone else. And I, as his right-hand man, have to figure out how to help him be the best leader that he can be and lead the company in a, in, in a, with a firm hand on the tiller. And what I'm alluding to here is the fact that as a, as a chief exec serial entrepreneur, he is as impatient as any of us to, well, that's not working, move on to the next thing. What have we learned? Right, let's move on. And slowness and steadiness is, are, are not virtues that are widely encouraged in tech, but I think that they are virtues nonetheless, especially when it comes to what tech people call the North Star, your North Star metric, the thing that you're supposed to always be aiming for. And never did you, you tactically deviate left and right all over the place, but but you're always ultimately aiming for that North Star. And of course, in, in our case, it's to help people learn. Um, the biggest challenge and the biggest learning for me over the last couple of years uh, at Mindstone has been working with the grain of the personalities of the chief exec who leads me but also needs leadership himself and needs you know and, and needs to be told when he's wrong and that takes courage from somebody like me to say no I think you're wrong on this so yeah that's the last thing I would I would mention in terms of the lessons of my leadership journey but I would emphasize that I don't think I've got it right I don't think you can I think it's a it's an ongoing thing and it does require great emotional intelligence to manage those relationships in a way that doesn't seem manipulative. I would definitely agree. I think it's, it's an interesting topic to call out managing upwards because as you said, it definitely, it definitely does take a bit of confidence to, to do it in the first place. And then I think also as well, do it in the right ways so that it gets perceived well and mm. comes across in the right way with the results that you want and not having a, a negative consequence as such. Yeah. I mean, of course, there are plenty of companies where attempting to to do that it's just going to get you sacked so I, I don't want to suggest that it's easy and 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 in the case of of, of Mindstone you know the, the the boss as I've mentioned our chief exec wants to know that he's wrong just as as much as I do so that that is a really helpful dynamic um but it is nevertheless it's hard I think it goes back to the point you made right at the beginning, and it's kind of full circle. You have to create that environment where it's safe to be able to manage upwards and mm. make those comments without any fear of recrimination or um, 
potentially being told you're not a good fit for the business because mm. you're speaking up. So I think that brings us neatly full circle from what we talked about at the very beginning. Cool. <laughs> it's well, nice to have a shape to the conversation. Well, it is, I guess. Yeah, well, we, we, we've, had, we've, we've done that and we've covered some very interesting topics and you've been very open, Patrick. Thank you for, for sharing that with us. Well, it's been a pleasure. Are there any things you would like to end with? Any particular thoughts in terms of how people might get in touch with you? Or hmm. so, um, share? Your, uh, your listeners are welcome to check us out on www.mindstone.com. M-I-N-D-S-T-O-N-E. Um, I mentioned before having pivoted towards mentors and mentees and then discovering that it didn't work. Our current target demographic is uh, knowledge workers with an overabundance of material to, to process in the course of their working week, especially those who've already got established learning habits, but know that they're not optimized. So any, anybody listening to this podcast, as I'm sure many of your listeners will fit that profile. If you measure your health, you measure your sleep, you measure your fitness, but you don't currently measure your learning, then you might want to check out Mindstone. Thank you very much. And we'll put the link in the show notes so people can um, click there and find out more information. So thank you. Thank you very much, Patrick. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank Patrick. you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed it, we welcome a review. And if you have any questions and like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the rjen.co.uk rjen, website.